I'd like you to take your Bibles and go with me to Genesis chapter 19. Oh, come on. Okay, there we go. (laughs) Genesis chapter 19 and verse 23. Many of you guys know David Bauer. Well, we talk uh, quite a bit. I'm going to take over here, Trent, with this mouse. Okay. Um, David and I, we, we talk quite a bit, and he sent me this link about three weeks ago. And it's on a podcast that is Catholic, um, but the guy does a lot of really good interviews. Um, he doesn't really teach a lot of doctrine, actually, but it's not a channel that I would say I've subscribed to, but I've found, uh, David found this content on this channel. I guess it was on Twitter or X, whatever it's called now. But I don't know how many of you are familiar with uh, Bible archaeology. It's really cool. And I say that in the nerdiest way, because it is kind of nerdy, but if you get past that stereotype, I don't know why people think that it is, but it really proves with pinpoint accuracy the Scripture. Um, If you remember In Grace, how many of you guys know In Grace's TV ministry? They do a lot of this. They go to the digs, they talk to the people who are leading these digs and the city of David and all of that. One of the more recent finds in Israel was the, um, the Pool of Siloam, I think, where they have, exca- they have excavated it out. They think they found the original steps. And when we went there this past year, um, we were able to s- uh, sit on those steps. It was quite, quite interesting. You come through Hezekiah's tunnel there, which uh, that's not for the faint of heart. I reluctantly did that because, you know, big boys, small spaces, that doesn't work out. I barely made it definitely got to work out for sure. Um, But you come through there, and there's this excavated site. Well, um, Pastor Scudder, he's he's kind of, he already knew that that was happening. He's met the people that were doing all of that. He's very well connected. And tonight we're going to look at, really, as the title says, Sodom and Gomorrah, Did It Happen? It's about a nine and a half minute video that we're going to watch. It's going to be a little out of sync. Don't worry about that. Just, if you want to, just listen more than you're looking, because most of the time it's just on the guy talking. But there's a lot to be said about Sodom and Gomorrah for many different reasons, but one of the most important reasons I think it needs to be addressed is because Jesus refers to it as a sign of the end times. Jesus verifies all of the Old Testament. Um, When he speaks it as truth, uh, he's not using it as an illustration or like these stories that are not true. He's speaking as they are a historical record. In fact, one of the greatest things that Jesus verifies is the prophecy that is in Daniel chapter 9. And that is the linchpin for a lot of different things with, as far as future events, prophetic events. But the fact that Jesus mentions it and uses it as a historical truthful piece is very important. Sodom and Gomorrah is one of those instances. So I want you to Look in Genesis chapter 19, starting in verse 23, just as a synopsis, Abraham has asked for God to spare. He says, if there's 30, if there's 25, if there's 20, will you spare it? It gets all the way down to, I believe it's five, and Sodom and Gomorrah still gets destroyed. And we would probably say that the only righteous people there were Lot and his kids, including his wife, and they go in, the angels come in, they're uh, attacked by these men of Sodom and Gomorrah, in a sexual way, and uh, Abraham, excuse me, Lot is told by the angels, get out. This thing is going to light up. And this is what happens in verse 23. 
The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zor. Then the Lord, and I want you to take note of this, please, rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah, note this, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Okay, so if we're going to take this to be historical fact, that means something, specifically fire and brimstone, came down out of heaven and onto these two cities. Note that. Okay, did you put that away? Lock it away for when we're going to watch this video because they mention that, but they don't go into the scriptures. But this is what it says in verse 25. And he overthrew those cities and all the plain, and note, note this, and all the inhabitants of the cities, that which grew upon the ground. Okay, now go to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. In verse 26, Luke chapter 17 and verse 26. Jesus says here, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it, also, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat and they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Boy, just as a side note, not really relevant to what we're talking about, this sounds like today. People are just out there doing their own thing. They, they're, they're, and uh, no one has any kind of care and concern for these warnings that are given in the New Testament. Verse 28, now here's his comparison. He, he's, he's just given a comparison to the flood, so he verifies the flood. And he compares it to the suddenness of the flood and the destruction that's going to come in the tribulation. Likewise also, verse 28, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank. And if you notice here, he doesn't say they married wives, they were given in marriage. Because what they were doing in Sodom and Gomorrah, that was not it. It was a lot of sexual deviancy that was going on but this is what they did do they bought and they sold they planted and they built it sodom and gomorrah was a major set of cities they're profitable they had wealth they were spiritually bankrupt but just as those as it was in those days what is he alluding to here the suddenness of their destruction but look at specifically what he says in 29 but the same day that Lot went out of Sodom into Zoar, as we know from Genesis 19.23, it, and I told you to highlight this in Genesis so you can see it here, rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. So I smile because it's like he's quoting exactly what was said in Genesis 19. And the specifics here, rained fire and brimstone from heaven to the extent that it destroyed them all. The only thing he did, um, did not mention here, not because it didn't happen, because it's not pertinent to the illustration that he's giving, is he didn't mention the destruction of the actual property. But that goes without saying if there's fire and brimstone raining down from heaven. So keep this all in mind as we watch this. I think this will be pretty neat. Um, Jan, can you cut all of the lights on the left side of the panel over there? 
You see it? Yeah, there's yeah, that one there, that one there. That's good. And Warren, if you can get that one, we'll be we'll be golden. All right, here we go. And Steve, uh, laptop is unmuted. What about things like Sodom and Gomorrah? Sodom and Gomorrah. That is one of the most sensational uh, stories Sum it in, up for those in recent who, uh, history. Yeah. Not as aware as they should be. Yes. Okay. I mean, so Sodom and Gomorrah, it, it looks like one of those mythological <laughs> stories out of the Bible, right? Oh, yeah, sure. You know, fire comes from heaven. Yeah. Tell me another one. And I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Matt, when I was growing up and, you know, reading Genesis 19 and stuff like that, it, it was a challenge to my faith. I'm like, okay, come on, really? You know, this really happened? Or are we supposed to understand this? Something else. But, um, you know, so uh, several years ago now, maybe like 15 years ago, I was at the Society of Biblical Literature, which was being held at, in that year in San Francisco. And um, I was in one of these, you know, conference rooms and I just wandered into this session because it had an intriguing title, you know, something about archaeological discoveries at Tel El Hammam in Jordan. I thought, well, I'll walk into this, you know, because uh, a lot of these conferences at, at, you know, the Society of Biblical Literature, like these ideologically driven, you know, uh, post-colonial feminist, whatever, you know, interpretation of this, that, or the other thing. So I like to go to ones that are actually about language or history or something. Somebody actually dug something up and we're talking about data, you know, so saw so this archaeological session, I wander in, I start listing. And as I'm listening to this presentation for about 45 minutes, near the end of it, I began to realize, oh my gosh, these people presenting think that they have found the biblical cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> That's what they're saying in a really roundabout, really understated way. So at the end of the presentation, they, they stop the presentation and they open up for questions and they, they describe these two city mounds that they had found on the Jordanian side of the Jordan River and uh, in this destruction layer and so on. And so I raised my hand immediately and I said, well, did you find any arrowheads? The reason I asked that, Matt, is when you have a destruction layer of an ancient city, if you find arrowheads in the destruction layer, it means that an army caused the destruction and they were shooting arrows at the defenders and blah, 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 blah. Mm. If you find a destruction layer and there aren't arrowheads, that means an army did not destroy the city and then probably it was some kind of natural event, mm. right? So I'm curious, like what destroyed these two cities that you guys think are Sodom and Gomorrah? And uh, so the, the researcher starts to get very bashful when I ask this question. He says, well, I didn't really want to go there but all I want to say uh, while we're recording this session is that it was a heat event. <laughs> and there's like 20 other people in the room and we're like looking at each other like a heat event. Like, is that like a wardrobe malfunction? Like, what, what, is, what is a heat event? You know, and like, okay. And then, and then he stopped the recording and like the official session was over, you know, and so it was like off camera at this point. So all of us in the room, like mobbed the guy at the front, like, okay, you know, tell us what's going on. And, um, and so this re researcher, uh, Stephen Collins from, uh, from a, he's from a Southwestern, uh, university in the U S here. Um, he says, okay. Uh, so we get down to this, uh, this destruction layer of this city that we're beginning to think is Sodom. And I, uh, we, we, we pulled up a, um, a piece of pottery. And, uh, when I looked on one side of it, I thought, oh no, our, our research is ruined because I saw that it was glazed and glazing wasn't invented until the Ottoman period, or at least the kind of glazing that he thought he saw. 
And the Ottoman period is like 1000 AD. And if you're pulling that up, that means you've got contamination in your archaeological dig. You've got like later artifacts down there. But then he turned the, the pottery over and on the back of it, it was typical Bronze Age pottery. But it was glazed on one side and, uh, and not on the other. Like what on earth is going on? So make a long story short, he sends this away to a lab in the U.S., and uh, for testing, and they come back and say, well, that glazing is trinitite. Okay, great. What's trinitite? Well, trinitite is that, uh, that, that glass layer that you get when you basically set off an atomic bomb in the desert, and it melts the glass, and you get a kind wow. of crystalline formation that's called trinitite. So this pottery was raised to over 4,000 degrees Fahrenheit for a brief moment of time. Like, oh my gosh, this is what's going on. So they, they continue to bring up this glazed pottery. And eventually what they discover is, among other things, they, they also begin to find human remains. They find human skeletons that are complete up until about halfway up the mm. backbone. And then there's just a scorch mark and there's nothing on the top of the body. And they find the skeleton behind a wall that's about, you know, four feet high. You know, so what's going on here? Well, long story short, they find massive evidence that a huge heat blast from the sky at about 25 degrees above the horizon incinerated these twin cities on the Jordanian side of the river what? just north of the Dead Sea. Yeah, and, and they have the, the artifacts uh, to prove it. And again, the reason it has to be from the sky? What's that? The reason it had to be from above? Because is of the angle. Like they have these, these human remains that apparently were standing upright behind a wall and I everything see. above the wall was incinerated and they do like the angular calculations and they can see, oh, that blast was coming like this, you know? So they can calculate the angle at which. And, and, and the, the stuff, when they, when they find the stuff in situ and they've got a scorched side or a melted side, you know, again, they can triangulate where this was coming from. And so long story short, you know, uh, the, from, a, from a natural material, you know, explanation, this looks like a meteor blast, you okay. know. That's what like, I was about to ask. What was yeah, the naturalistic explanation? Yeah, you know, uh, like, uh, like in Tunguska, I think it was called <laughs> Siberia back in the 1800s. There was this, you know, massive meteor blast that flattens, you know, several hundred square miles of, of taiga of, you know, Northern Russian forest and so on. And you know, when a meteor comes into the atmosphere, you know, it, it heats up and then explodes and it, you know, it can be like a, like an atomic blast. But uh, again, the timing and the location and the cities all track with what is described of Abraham and Lot in Genesis mm. 19 and the surrounding chapters. And then the Bible talks a lot about Sodom and Gomorrah for centuries thereafter, you know, all the way into the prophets uh, like Isaiah and Jeremiah continue to mention Sodom and Gomorrah. This stuck in the cultural memory because this was a major world historical traumatic event for us, like the two towers going down, you know, like this major disaster where these two cities were entirely wiped out by a heat blast from the sky, you know, by the hand of God as it were. But no historical source records this, even though Sodom and Gomorrah were um, arguably the two most powerful cities in, the, in that entire 
entire region. They were, they were at a trade route, you know, from going from east to the west, from Egypt out to, you know, the far east, and everything was was passing through there. So very powerful, very wealthy cities, and uh, only the biblical record, you know, has a historical account of this. Um, you know, meteorological, geological event that we can now attest that tracks with the time period and the description. And also that blast going out, going up go, creates a great vacuum, which then recollapses and, and pulls all kinds of salt sediment from the Dead Sea and then slams it on, on that location that was in the bullseye of, and, and that's where you get, you know, the, the discussion of, you know, became a pillar of salt and all the, the hellfire, the brimstone, you know, the, mm-hmm. um, that, that was all torn up by the blast and, and redeposited over the cities. So it's absolutely fa- fascinating. And folks can look this up. I'm not making this up. Steve Collins, a very reputable uh, archaeologist from um, something like Southwestern Methodist University or something like this. Right, uh, can you can look on online, just go to Amazon and type in like uh, the dis- So how about that? Isn't that interesting? Just a couple of takeaways there that I want you to uh, take note of. Number one, the thing that I thought was the most telling was the pottery. And for those of you who have studied archaeology, his thing about the, the arrowheads is very important. Because if they came under attack, then you try to find a more dominant... You're, you're trying to figure out what you can't see, so you're piecing it together with any kind of artifacts. And then when you find that pottery... I remember watching this for the first time, and he's like, and then we flipped it over, and it was regular to that age. So they knew it was not a contaminated dig, but it was actually an artifact relevant to that time that had some type of damage or heat event. <laughs> you know, so, and then the lab comes back, and it's like, yeah, yeah, this is Trito, whatever. Yeah, and they're like, well, how, what is that? Oh, that's what you get when a nuclear bomb goes off, which is exactly as it's described. And he says, um, he theorizes that it was a meteor. So I wanted you to focus on fire and brimstone. I don't think that, you know, the scripture says fire and brimstone. Could it mean a, 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 a ray of heat? It could, but more understood by that language, especially this language that Jesus uses there, it's, 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 it's rock coming down and, and destroying this area. I think it's interesting about the salt deposits. I think that Lot's wife turned into a literal... Um, pile of salt. I don't know if he would agree with that, but that's not really what's up for discussion. But also, the scorching of the bodies. I think that's amazing. And the fact that they were, that the degree of this coming down, he said 25 degrees or whatever, and that there was enough evidence to suggest that people were literally cut off at the middle and there was a sear mark there. What does this tell you? Number one, that every instance and use of Sodom and Gomorrah from the point of Genesis 19 all the way until I think the last time it's mentioned is in Jude, is referring back to an event that actually happened. So this is not something like, hey, beware. It's not like a, uh, a nursery rhyme to keep you from sucking your thumb, you know? Some little creature is going to come and lop your thumb off in German nursery rhymes. That's not what that is. This was a real event that happened, and it, like he said, it's stuck in the culture's mind. God used it, often as a comparison. And one of the most steaming rebukes is when Jesus says that it will be tolerable for those who actually had Jesus' ministry available to them and they rejected him. 
it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah, which God destroyed in this way, than for those people who rejected the light that they had received. So that's not Jesus saying, oh, remember that nursery rhyme, remember that story that your parents told you to make you behave, or, you know, something to that, that, that is uh, against homosexual behavior, some story that's made up. That's a real account. I want you to go to one more passage here. It's in first, or excuse me, Second Peter chapter 1. All of this is fascinating to me because if Sodom and Gomorrah happened and Jesus used it in his illustration about the suddenness of destruction, then the illustration he used before is accurate too. And in Luke 17, what else did he compare to the suddenness of the tribulation? The global flood. So you can know, tracing all the way back to the ark, that these things are true. And if that's true, then you can believe the rest of the first six chapters of Genesis. I've told you this before, and we have a little bit of time before we go into this verse. I remember listening to these comedians. They were very, they still are, very clean guys, like family-level entertainment. But they, they released an episode like in 2019 that it was called their deconstruction of their faith. Has anybody heard that term before, when someone deconstructs their faith? Right, they basically tell you, this is how I am no longer a uh, believer, which we know if somebody puts their faith in Christ, God is going to always keep that person, but you know they can make very silly decisions that lead to their destruction and loss of reward. But these two guys, what they started to um, doubt are things like Sodom and Gomorrah, are things like the flood. And ultimately, the first thing they adopted was evolution. So there's no way that God could have designed these things. Science says, history says, research says that it's millions of years and all this types of of, of stuff. But you know what the science also says? What you just saw. This was a convention where it's probably a, it's a biblical themed convention, but like he said, it's very progressive. Most of these meetings are progressive. So he goes to the language ones and the history ones because you have to observe hard data, hard facts. And you come to a conclusion like that, you begin to see this is how the devil works. And for all the things that answer in Genesis gets incorrect about the gospel, they do a lot of good work on the creation story, on the biblical record of the flood and all of that. But to see it verified outside of the scripture, I think is amazing. You start bringing up this stuff to people that are atheists, they don't know this stuff. They don't know it because they're not even looking for it. They've already made their mind up. This can be something you put in that pocket of yours for witnessing. Like, would, would, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if you could see that there are historical uh, events that the Bible verifies before science approves it? I mean, the Bible got it right first. He said, there's no other historical record on this outside of the Bible. The Bible made it an issue because it's a theme throughout all of Scripture, this comparison between Sodom and Gomorrah. And now you know specific details as to why that's true. It's enough already that God said that it happened and that Jesus verified it. But this just proves more and more that the Bible is accurate. The Bible is accurate. But speaking to that point that it's enough that God said it, look at what it says here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, through the rest of that chapter. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, 
until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So when you read Genesis and you see that account, you know that God put that there. There is a reason for that. Who gets the glory in this discovery? God does. Because He did exactly what He said He did. So if that's true, and Daniel 9 is true, then all the Old Testament is a true record. Then the second coming of Jesus Christ is true. Then the resurrection of Jesus is true. Then He is the only way to the Father through Him. It goes all the way to the very gospel message. All of this is intertwined. When I first came to this ministry here at Calvary, that's the one thing that impressed me the most. The Old Testament and the New Testament are connected. I thought the Old Testament was for Sunday school and flanographs, and then the New Testament is for ranting and raving for the Baptists. That's what I thought. And when I get older, I'll understand the New Testament. As I get older, I'll stop being in the Old Testament. These things are connected together. The prophecies in the Old Testament, are fulfilled and verified by Christ. He dies, he comes back from the dead, and then we have all of the New Testament on how Christians should live their lives. How unbelievers can come into a proper standing with God through his son, Jesus Christ. So this is more than just some nerdy video. This is, this is proving the Bible to be true. You walk in here tonight, you sing these songs, and we, we study and do all these things. We're not just going to the motions because this is our parents' religion. This is a true book with historical accuracy. And you can know this is not some, some uh, you know, play that was written by people in, in, in a cave a long time ago. You go s- study the, uh, the pieces of Scripture, the papyrus, that are recorded. I mean, we, we have, what we have here in the Bible is universally accepted as a historical document. Now, whether there's veracity in here, the world wants to debate. Is it true or not? Well, we want to debate. But we know this is to be the Word of God because this is not the creation of man. Man wrote it. God authored it. And that's something powerful. I just like that. And I thought, I, I was talking to Trent, I was like, man, this would be a great like, little Wednesday night thing. So there's another one that I want to look at later. I haven't found a video on it, but it's about the siege at Lachish with Sennacherib, the king of Assyria at the time. For the longest time, archaeologists thought that was one of the linchpins that disproves the Bible because they couldn't find it. Lo and behold, they just didn't dig deep enough. And they found the exact description of this city that was besieged by Sennacherib. It changed the minds of the archaeologists who were at the dig. They said, if this is true, then everything about this ruler, Sennacherib, is also true because the Bible verifies it. And it verifies it on multiple points. Just like this here, you have the pottery, you have proper sediment deposits, all of this. It's not just like, oh, we found this one thing in a trash can outside of an Israeli tourist museum. No, this is something that they dug. They're in the right place, and all these things are corroborated together. And we as believers go, praise God. We shouldn't go, oh, we're right, you're wrong. And we say, praise God. Will you believe now? Will you believe now? And that's what all this leads to is the gospel. How can you know that you have eternal life? If this hand represents you and me, I'll let My wallet represents sin. I put this on top of my hand because the Bible says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What's the glory of God? It's perfection. No sin at all. 
Not no sin from this point forward, no sin at all. And we're all born into it. So we're born separated. God, he loves us very much and he intercedes on our behalf. But this sin, there is judgment for it. It separates us from him. And the, the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God forever in a place called hell. You go read in Jude the description of Sodom and Gomorrah and the false prophets being compared to those places. Remember what he said about Sodom and Gomorrah being wealthy? It's on a trade route, all of that. These false, false prophets too, they're pretty wealthy. They're trading in the marketplace, but they don't bear the truth. What's the truth? This has to be paid for and not by good works, not by turning over a new leaf or starting something brand new or promising to stop and promising to um, give or whatever it may be. Somebody has to die to pay for this sin. This hand represents the, uh, uh, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God. And he died in your place, for God so loved the world. How did he love the world? He so loved, which means in this way, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him. Isn't it? It's amazing how simple it is, and people won't do it. And you think about the, the ministries that Jesus had, where they saw him, and saw the miracles, and heard what he said, it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than for those people who had that much light and rejected it. And it's so simple, just believe. And whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Once you believe on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the payment of your sin, that sin payment is put to your account. You now have the righteousness of God. You're born again. You have the sealing of the Holy Spirit. All this happens right away. And at the day of your death or at the rapture, you will be absent from this body, but forever present with the Lord, regardless of how you choose to live your life. You should not, and the Bible does not advocate in any place to use your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness or your liberty to provoke one another in wrath. We are, there's nowhere that says we have a license to sin. But Jesus paid for all of our sin. So there's no sin that could send us to hell once we put our faith in him. And if you don't like that, there's a problem you have with what God said, not with me. That's a problem with what God said. I'm glad he made it that way because I know who I am. And if you're honest, you know who you are. And it, we need it all paid. Amen, folks? All of it, especially if righteousness is the standard. And that's what God has offered to us. Everlasting life. What's the great exchange? You believe on him, you receive eternal life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Please, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Nobody's looking around. If you're here tonight and that makes sense to you and you'd like to receive eternal life right where you're sitting, you just put your trust in Jesus Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection as the payment for your sins. When you believe that he did it for you, God gives you the righteousness that he possesses. You have a brand new nature. You have the sealing of the Holy Spirit. You still got your old sinful nature, but you're going to heaven without that. And you can have assurance of that. If you're on the internet, please write to us, info at calvaryoftampa.org. Hit the button that says, yes, I will trust Christ alone. Or reach out to us in the comment section. We'll be more than happy to get back to you. For those of you here in the room, I pray that your faith has been strengthened. And that you have a little bit more defense when you're attacked by science falsely so-called. Father, thank you for your word. Bring us back here safely for Sunday morning worship. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.